Friends, I want to ask you to grab a Bible and open with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is found on page 878 of the Pew Bible in front of you if you don't have your copy. I also want to ask for your grace this morning as I am struggling with my voice. I have one of those viruses that's going around. Thankfully, it's not that virus that's going around. I think. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us by it. Lord, we believe that you have our very best in mind and that we are, when we are found in you, that we become the most fulfilled in this life. As we consider this ongoing topic of generosity and the words of Jesus in Luke 19, continue to change our hearts and our minds and conform them to the likeness of your Son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was making his way toward Jerusalem. He had been preaching about the coming kingdom of God. He had engaged people about sin and repentance He had warned them about hell and encouraged them about heaven. He had called a rich young ruler to give away everything to follow him. But the ruler refused. And he had met a tiny rich tax collector who he didn't ask to give anything, but the man gave away everything for the sake of following him. And when you start to look at what Jesus is doing as he approaches the end of his life through these actions and through these teachings, it becomes clear that Jesus is prompting the people that he is interacting with, he's prompting them toward a very different view of their life. We all view life in terms of what we see, what we feel what we desire, what we know. But Jesus points to a bigger reality. Not just the temporary, but the eternal. Jesus points to a life that's not just a life with us at the center of it, but a life with God at the center of it. A life that is not consumed with trying to accomplish our desires or our purposes or our greatest entertainment or our greatest comfort but a life that is oriented toward God's desires and God's purposes because again and again and again we see that Jesus expresses to us that true, lasting joy and fulfilling life is found only and completely in him. And now he approaches Jerusalem and he tells them, another parable. This is a parable about the king and a kingdom, about intentionality and investment, and about servants who are honored and servants who are scorned. This is a parable about life. And we see it in Luke 19, starting at verse 11. It says this. It says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable 
because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minus more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. And then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. For as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. The parable begins with the scene of a king who comes to take hold of a kingdom that he has inherited. Some of the servants are in support of the king. Some of the citizens are in opposition to the king. For the Jews who heard it originally, many of them might have called to mind the coming of King Herod to their region. He was a king who inherited a kingdom. For others, it says right in the text in verse 11, there were some who assumed that the long-awaited Messiah would establish a kingdom of military might and expel the Romans from Jerusalem, that the Jews would have their land back again. And so Jesus, nearing Jerusalem, tells them this parable to correct their thinking, but even more importantly to reinforce an orientation about this life. Here, Jesus, in the parable, is referring to himself. And the kingdom that he is referring to is the kingdom of God. That one short verse in verse 12 sets the frame for understanding what this parable is all about and how this parable is applied for your life. The kingdom of God represents the rule and the reign of Jesus in the lives of those who follow him. 
Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is represented by the rule and the reign of Jesus in the lives of those who follow him. Now, I wonder if you live in light of that kingdom, in expectation of that kingdom, in response to that kingdom. You might be tempted to think that the kingdom of God is something that happens later. It happens maybe when Jesus returns and all of history is reckoned unto himself. And he creates a new heaven and a new earth. But we often say that with the coming of Jesus the first time, the kingdom of God begins as people put their faith in him. It's inaugurated. And when he returns, the kingdom is completed. You live in the kingdom of God right now if Jesus rules and reigns in your life. You also live in the kingdom of the world right now by the nature of our physical bodies and this time in history. And that puts us in a unique position. Because the agendas of the kingdom of the world are compelling. And the agendas of the kingdom of the world are ever before us. But the opportunities of the kingdom of God are ongoing in their nature. And when you recognize this king, Jesus, in your life, ongoing depth of significance, fulfillment, and joy are what follows. And so we see a picture of life that's happening. Verse 14 and 13 tell us that there's different types of people here engaging with this king. Verse 14 tells us that some of the citizens hated him. Look at it with me. They sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. These are the people who don't recognize Jesus as the son of God, the savior of the world, or as their king. They're part of the kingdom of the world. But verse 13 it says that he called ten of his servants. He gave them ten minus, and he said to them, Engage in business until I come. So the servants in the parable are those who recognize Jesus as their king. They've put their trust in him, and they're given resources by this king. In fact, the only resources that they have in the parable, the only thing that they have is what the king has given them. And they're expected to do something with it. To do something intentional and specific with those resources. And so the king gives each one of the ten servants a mina. A mina is about a hundred days worth of laboring wages. It's a third of your salary for the year. And he tells them to do business with it and then he leaves. He leaves, and it doesn't say for how long. But you gather that it was quite a while. It was long enough for them to do the business with it. It was long enough that at least one of them should have invested it in the bank, and it would have been with the bank long enough to earn some interest. They didn't know when the king would return. In fact, as they went about Day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out. Surely some of them along the way must have thought to themselves, he's probably never coming back. It recalls to mind 
Another parable that Jesus told, the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. These ten young women were tasked with keeping their eyes out for the bridegroom. And they were to stay up and wait for his arrival. And he delayed and he delayed and he delayed. And finally the bridegroom arrived in the middle of the night, but not all ten were ready. Some of the oil had gone out in the lamps. They weren't well prepared. And some of the young women were ready and they announced the coming of the bridegroom and the feast began. But some of them missed the feast because they weren't ready. Or you think of the words of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, or 5, verse 2. When Paul writes about the coming of Jesus, he says, you, are, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Nobody knows when the thief is going to come. And the point is the same. The return of the king is imminent. But you don't know when it will happen. And so the encouragement, of course, is to be ready. So in the parable, the king returns. After how long, we do not know. He calls the servants to himself to account for how they had followed his command to do business with the funds. And the first servant comes and he tells the king that he had invested the money wisely and he had earned ten times fold on the mina. Ten minus was what he had now. The second servant comes and tells the king that he had done business wisely and had earned five-fold investment, five minas, was what happened with his one. And the third servant comes and tucked away the mina in a handkerchief. He blames the king for his inaction and his fear. And we'll come back to that in a moment. And then it doesn't say anything else about the other seven servants. The principle is conveyed with just these three. So as you think about the details of the story, a number of things come to mind Really, four things stick out to me as striking. The first is the obvious question. What do the mina represent? What is he asking them to invest? What is he asking you to invest? I mean, in the parable, it's money. But does the explanation give us any more than that? And to find the answer, I think we need to pause for a minute and consider what are the things that the generous king gives to us. And with that, then what does he, ex- what does he expect? Think about it with me for a minute. What does God give you? What do you have that God has given? Well, firstly, and maybe most importantly, God gives you grace and forgiveness. God gives you the gospel. He gives you his son. That the God of the universe loves you no matter who you are or what you've done or where you've came from. And that he extends himself to you to draw you into a relationship with him. For your good. For your eternal life. Because he sees fit to exercise this type of grace and generosity on humanity. It is the greatest possible thing that you can have. It is the thing of the most value. Maybe you're here today and you look at the story and you 
are thinking for the first time of this idea of a king and a kingdom and Jesus being the king. And the message for you is just very simply, God's greatest gift to you is a new life that's found in trusting his son, Jesus. But what else does God give? Well, you can think about your skills, your abilities. You can think about the spiritual gifts that God gives to those who follow him. Those are gifts given for your good and for the encouragement of others. And if you remember back, if you've been with us, and you consider back to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, David stands before the people of Israel and he prays to God as, as they're on the verge of the temple, and he recognizes that God gives some things to them. In fact, he recognizes that God gives material things to people, that he gives money to people, that he gives reputation to people, and that he gives the ability to do great things to people. And so what does the Lord ask you to invest for the sake of his kingdom? I think the answer is all of it. That the God who is a generous king and gives to you generously does so because he loves you, but he also does so with a sense of expectation that you will do something as a member of his kingdom. And that expectation is laid out in both praise and in warning. And that leads to the second observation. We see in the parable that he gives praise and reward to those who have used what he has given them well. It's described with the word faithful. He says, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall rule over ten cities to the first servant. You shall rule over five cities to the second servant. The emphasis is on faithfulness and the result of faithfulness. Perhaps you have been striving to be faithful to God and maybe you don't feel like God recognizes your faithfulness. Maybe you've been faithful in the simple, in the little things, in the small and ordinary ways and you wonder if it even matters at all. You're like the young woman who has her first job, who sits in the cubicle and works hard day in and day out while her boss receives the recognition and the honor for her labors, and she thinks to herself, is this even worth it? Is there any way forward here? But little does she know that within just a few short years, others will recognize her diligence and she will continue to advance to become the head of her department in short order. Or perhaps you feel like the understudy on Broadway who works and works and works and works and works at the role with only a glimmer of hope that someday you will make the stage and ever be recognized for all of the diligent, faithful work that you do. And this understudy can't see it in the moment and he's discouraged as he goes but he will be given a chance due to circumstances beyond his control. And he even becomes the star of the show. Or maybe you're the Christian who gives generously to God of your time, 
of your treasure, of your talent. You stretch and you risk and you look out for others. And you don't know the result. And nobody recognizes your faithfulness and nobody celebrates you. But God knows. And God rewards. Faithfulness. That's how you live in light of the king. And this faithfulness connects very clearly with our understanding of generosity in multiple ways, doesn't it? As we've seen over the last number of weeks together, the generous king makes generous people. What you have been given by God comes to you and you become a custodian for it to use it for God's agenda. And in this way, we view ourselves, when we view ourselves as a member of the kingdom of God, we become a funnel in some ways, a funnel for God's resources. God doesn't give us our resources primarily for our comfort, nor for our self-advancement. He, yes, he meets our basic needs. Yes, he even gives us over and beyond that. But when we understand ourselves in the light of the kingdom, we begin to understand that our life is to be lived with an open hand and our resources are to be used for something of kingdom advancement. What the king has given is not simply to serve me. I am something so much bigger than just myself. And so you might not feel like God's paying attention. But it's so encouraging that he is. And he rewards those who are faithful. Faithfulness in the little results in responsibility with the more. And the principle emerges in verse 26. Look at it with me. Jesus says at the end of the parable, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But it's interesting, as he looks at the servants, the ones who were faithful, he doesn't give them more just simply for their own enjoyment, for their own pleasure, for their own comfort. He makes one a ruler over ten cities. He gives him a greater opportunity to serve in the kingdom. He makes another a ruler over five cities. And of course, there's benefits with that, that come with that position. But there's also a significantly greater responsibility. He gives him an ongoing opportunity to serve in the kingdom. If you don't want to be faithful to the king, Jesus says, then the kingdom opportunities will be taken away from you. But if you want to be faithful to the king then the kingdom opportunities will only increase for you. I think of one of our church members, my friend Mark Garland and his wife Lori. Mark and Lori are normal folks doing normal jobs, but who are engaged in extraordinary things. Their life, in so, many in so many ways, illustrates the principle that Jesus is getting to in this parable. That if you are faithful with the little, the kingdom opportunities will be ever-increasing for you. I asked Mark to tell the story of what the Lord has been doing in him and through him over the last number of years. He resisted 
but I won. And I want to share a little bit about Mark and Lori with you. And we're going to do so on a video. So please pay attention as we see some of this story. Hi, my name is Mark Garland, and this is my story. I was uh, fortunate enough to be raised in the church my whole life. Uh, my mother would take us to church, and, you know, I think I've said to you before that I was drugged, drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, so I had a good uh, upbringing on the things of God. I run an uh, inspection company that inspects homes. My wife Lori works at the hospital as a, uh, a CAT scan. She does CAT scans. God has blessed the both of us. 2013, Carol Perkins had uh, just returned from a trip to Africa. She was showing a video of a well that she had uh, put in over there. And on the way home that day, I said to my wife, I said, you know, someday I would like to put a well in. Uh, I think that would be an awesome thing. And my wife said, well, you should. I felt God had been telling me uh, for uh, probably three or four years that that's what he wanted me to do. God has blessed me that I was able to provide the funds to build a well. But, and it could have stopped there, but because Carol says, Mark, why don't you come over and dedicate this well and be part of the dedication? It changed my life. I went over, I dedicated the well, I saw the people there, how much impact it had on the people. I thought, what else could I be doing in this life than to provide another well? So we put another well in. <laughs> and Carol says, well, you have to come over and see it. And I went over and I got to see that well. Uh, and, I, and in between the wells, uh, I said, you know what? I'd like to build a church. My wife and I would like to build a church. And I said, well, how much would that cost? And she told me, and I sent probably more, and there was enough left over. They built a parsonage for the pastor. The poverty of not having anything. Uh, we went into different Maasai villages. They live in mud huts. The pastors live in mud huts. They're just as uh, joyous under a tree as they are in an in a old metal shack. When I saw that picture of all the people packed in this church, worshiping God, it changed my life. That was a turning point. What water does uh, to a village is just amazing. They can grow crops, they can uh, water for animals, water. I, it was an awesome thing to be able to drink the water from the well. Here's water that we'll thirst again for. 
but Christ said that the water that I give is everlasting. Giving to others that you know is going to have eternal benefits. Like Christ said, you know, to give to those that can't give back. So I already said to Carol, where are we building the next church? And she's already, I, it's already in the process. For whatever reason, God has blessed me more than I deserve. I, I'm not a formal educated guy. I didn't go to college. But God has chosen me and he's blessed me. And I want to give him the credit for what he's done. And to be a part of something bigger than me, uh, to represent our church here at Old North, to go over to another country. You know, when we find what God has called us to do, and we follow what God has called us to do, it's not a job. It's, it's just that it's our calling in life. God has been so generous to me that I want to be generous to other people. And you think, wow, how much more can I give? Mark would be the first one to say to you that he wants little or no attention on his own, but would want the attention to be on what God has done. And his story, if you were to ask him five years ago, six years ago, hey, Mark, do you think you'll ever be involved in something of this magnitude? He would say, no way, never in a million years. But his story illustrates the principle that when you are faithful with the king, with the small things that the king gives you, then the kingdom opportunities only increase for you. And I love elements of that story. We're going to talk more about it in a minute, but I love the idea of being bigger, being part of something bigger than yourself. <laughs> of thinking to yourself, God, what else would you do with my life and my time and my treasure and my talent? And when you start to consider the implications of that, uh, in Mark's case, it meant that he got involved with, the, with a number of villages among the Maasai in Kenya. It might be something different from you, but if you're faithful to the king, then the kingdom opportunities will only increase for you. Faithfulness in service to the king leads to the blessing of the king. And he, Jesus encourages this reality, but we can't get too far away from that encouragement because at the same time he warns against the exact opposite. So let's consider that briefly for a moment. There's a warning for those who don't use what the king has given them, but there's good news even in that warning that it's not too late. The third servant blames the king for his inaction. Verse 21 says, I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. He accuses the king. This is a man that doesn't have loyalty to the king. He doesn't trust the king. And so he's not faithful. Or maybe it's the reverse. Maybe he's not faithful and this indicates that he doesn't have trust of the king. But of course, the king points out the irony of his own statement. He accuses him by his own words, this sort of accusation, which was false in its nature, but at the very least should have motivated him toward activity. 
not toward inactivity. And as a result, the king removes what he has given him. He removes the kingdom opportunities because this man has squandered them. Now some of us might find ourselves in a position where we struggle with a similar attitude of distrust for the king. Maybe we're hearing something like this and we're saying, I'm not particularly faithful with what God has given me. Or I struggle to give consistently or even generously. To serve consistently or generously. To think about myself in light of the king and the kingdom in any sort of ongoing or meaningful way. There could be a lot of different reasons for this. You know, perhaps we're just apathetic. We don't feel the urgency of the return of the king. Maybe we're afraid that we won't have enough. And that if we start living a life of generosity, we're, we don't truly trust that the king will provide for our needs. Perhaps we're obstinate. We're like the child who, when the bag of candy is passed to them, holds onto it tight and says, the rest are all mine. <laughs> or like the one servant whose attitude toward God is suspicious or accusatory, maybe because of past hurts in your life. And faithfulness is hard. It's hard work sometimes. And so maybe some of the struggle is laziness for us. I don't know what it could be for you. But you need to hear that in this kingdom, God has a way of doing things. And God is not trying to take something from you. God wants something for you. And it's only when you trust him do you become part of something bigger than yourself. And the good news of the warning is that no matter what your struggle is, it's not too late. Andrew Murray once said it this way. He said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for a life wholly yielded to him. That as you continue to grow in the dynamics of the kingdom, God takes responsibility for your well-being. God takes responsibility for your, for your provisions. God makes sure that you're cared for. The king is still calling you to faithfulness. Jesus has not returned yet. And you too could still hear the words, you have been faithful with little, and therefore I will give you much. And that leads to the fourth observation. There's a level of intentionality that is required to invest. Faithfulness to the king takes on a lot of forms. We've talked about it over the last number of weeks. Our time, our efforts, our talents, our money, generosity encompasses this type of faithfulness. But there's a level of intentionality about this. When you put your money into the stock market, you don't just simply throw a bunch of money into a pot that's generally called the stock market. You or your financial advisor, invest that money into something that you believe is going to yield the greatest return. 
on your investment. You know, there are a lot of good things that you can invest in in this life. But they are not all equal in their return. You might see Mark's video and his story and you say, Mark found a cause. (laughs) And if I can just find my cause, like Mark found his cause, then I'll know what to invest in. Everybody seems to want to find their cause, the thing that really tugs at their heartstrings and makes them go. But don't miss the point. Don't miss the intentionality. Don't miss the nature of this kind of investment. Mark's cause is not building wells in Africa. His cause is the expanse of the gospel among the Maasai people. The wells are a means for that expansion. And that's why when Mark builds wells, he partners with churches or builds churches. Or we at Old North continue to partner and build churches and are even looking at doing another one this year. This is why when Mark went to dedicate the well, he stood before the people, uh, he stood before the people as the water was flowing and told them the story of Jesus and the woman at the well at John chapter 4. You might remember the story. Jesus stood before her and he said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Yes, the well changes the economics of a situation. Yes, the well provides for incredible physical needs for people, but they will still be thirsty and their need will still be there. But Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There's a lot of great causes out there. There's a lot of great humanitarian organizations that meet physical needs of people. There's a lot of ways to help people gain skills or to start businesses. There's a lot of great causes to work for a betterment of our society as a whole through the arts. Or through the helping and the funding of maybe your alma mater. Or becoming a booster at your local high school. These are all great things. The list goes on. But these things will not yield the greatest return for the king or for the kingdom. Investing in the gospel will. Investing in the gospel is what yields the greatest return for this king, Jesus. And so how do you invest in the gospel? Well, you invest in your local church. You invest in evangelism. You invest in missions. The gospel. If you are faithful to the king, then the kingdom opportunities will only be ever increasing for you. Faithfulness in service to the king leads to the blessing of the king. That's the story of this parable. England in the 1700s had a lot of needs, and there were a lot of opportunities to meet those needs. One woman named Lady Huntington was among the English nobility. She had great wealth and great reputation, and with that great responsibility. When she was just 39 years old, her husband suddenly died of a stroke. She was left with four young children and the responsibilities of managing multiple estates 
along with the dynamics of English high society. But this woman had been enraptured by the love of Christ and the good news of the gospel. And so with all of her wealth and with all of the needs out there, she could think of nothing greater than leveraging her position and her wealth for one cause, that more people would come to know Jesus. So she partnered with this young, dynamic preacher named George Whitfield. She invited him into parties of the upper class to preach. She funded Bible crusades across England and in the United States of America. She made it possible for Whitfield to travel back and forth between the U.S. and England again and again and again, many times for the sake of the gospel. She became his gospel patron. You've heard of George Whitfield, but have you heard of Lady Huntington, the one who funded the work of his ministry? Because she understood faithfulness and service to the king leads to the blessing of the king. Friends, God is calling us to grow in generosity. The king will return. We will give an account for everything that he has given to us. And I implore you to join in the ongoing service of this king. Because if you're faithful to him, the kingdom opportunities will only ever expand for you. And so with that, I want to ask you to pray with me and to ask for God's help that we grow in this faithfulness. Father in heaven, we want to be faithful. We recognize your generous hand, and we desire to see you work in ongoing ways. Give us our most fulfilling life that is found in you. Expand the kingdom opportunities among us. Change in our hearts and minds our perspective on our resources. And bring glory to yourself as the kingdom grows. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.